Tech. Cars. Machines. Big trucks. Keep your engine running. Click subscribe. Subscribe with the little button in your podcast app or click the three dots in the little circle. Or visit us at techcarsmachines.com and gtkpartners.com, where our subscribe buttons are much bigger. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Tech Cars Machines. And maybe this time we should call it Tech Trucks Machines because that's what we're going to be talking about. Mainly 18-wheelers, in fact. So big trucks. And we're going to be talking about these big trucks with Josh Switkis, founder and chief executive of Peloton Technology, an extraordinarily informative gentleman. When you hear the interview, you'll see why I describe him that way. And Peloton is a truck platooning company. What does that mean? It basically means that Peloton enables tailgating. They help two trucks find each other. They help them get close to each other and follow each other really closely. And as it turns out, as the, the way the aerodynamics work out, both trucks experience reduced air friction and therefore save a lot of fuel, which is a big deal, as you can imagine, in the trucking industry. Now, in a second, we're going to play you the audio portion of a little clip that the company has that'll give you a sense for kind of what's going on inside the truck as this platooning is being set up. But I like to think of the company as having two major pieces of technology. One is inside the truck, and that basically allows for the coordination between the two vehicles. There are the radars and the cameras and the other cool self-driving stuff, uh, you know, that help the trucks uh, stay in tight formation safely. Most uniquely, it's the truck up front, which is the scout looking ahead about 850 feet that controls the cruise and the gas and the brake for both trucks uh, via a direct communications link. And that's kind of cute and unique. By the way, fuel saving is where this all started. It turns out safety is impacted positively too. The second piece of the technology is a network operating center. We'll go through that a little bit more, but it's basically a control center that can nationally control where these trucks are, helping them find each other and give them other useful information. I'd like to suggest that you look for three things in this episode. One is listen carefully to how the company is very carefully defining the problem it's trying to solve. These are not automated trucks. They're just adding to the driver and the truck's capabilities. They're not trying to replace the driver. In fact, they're trying hard not to change the experience. One video display on the windshield, one big button to engage and disengage. Key there is that that allows us to constrain down the type of situations that the system encounters tremendously. If we had to build and validate the system for every situation in the world, we'd be working for a long time on it. Um, <laughs> by constraining it down to the ones that really matter, right. which for trucks are, you know, are the big highways, the big interstates and U.S. highways, we really simplify that problem. As we discussed in episode two, transportation is an enormous market. If you're solving a meaningful problem, you're going to wind up with a big outcome. Therefore, there's no need to exaggerate what you're doing. What you really need to do is define the problem correctly so that you're not overreaching in terms of the capabilities of technology as they are today. And so you can deliver something meaningful to people in the short term. As the industry likes to say, if you bought it, a truck brought it. And that truck typically consumes $100,000 of fuel a year. So any difference you can make is big news. Long term, the value of Peloton might substantially be to what the company calls a network operating center. Again, a quick explanation from Josh. More later. We also have truck to cloud communication. So we've built what we call the network operations center, which is a cloud service, which is supervising and coordinating the trucks. Third, 
I'd like you to take measure of Josh's personality. Notice how controlled and measured he is. Extremely smart person, obviously, but still controlled and measured. This matters if you're in a business that's trying to address an industrial segment. When I come across companies that are looking to sell to big industries, transportation, heavy machinery, etc., what I suggest is that they, to some extent, set aside what is most typical about Silicon Valley culture. And the reason for that is over the last 10 or 15 years, most of the really big money in the Valley has been made by consumer-facing companies. Those companies, by their nature, they're selling things one customer at a time. They have to do a lot of work to get attention. And so those companies tend to be more extroverted, more ebullient, just have bigger personalities to them. And to the extent that that marketing personality gets absorbed by their operating executives, that's not the kind of personality that a large industrial company is looking for when it's looking to adopt technology that substantially affects safety and reliability. A lot of this may be just a matter of perceptions, but it's real. So listen carefully to how Josh's delivery and his personality almost naturally would make someone comfortable that what he's going to deliver is going to be safe and reliable, and he's not necessarily looking to to blow you away and get your attention. Okay, that's enough of my soliloquy. We're going to play for about a minute uh, a little audio snippet from from the Peloton platooning video that you can find on their website, and we'll put links to it in the episode webpages. What you're going to hear is a truck starting off, getting on the road, The system advises that there's a platooning opportunity available and guides the trucks toward each other with some basically speed instructions. And then essentially what the truck drivers do once they get close to each other is push that big Peloton button and the system then links them electronically. And from that point on, not the steering, but the pedal work is essentially being done by the truck up front. You'll hear how the system automatically manages for a car that sort of cuts in between the two vehicles, and you'll also listen to the two trucks disengage. And then we're going to go right to the interview, which starts with an attempt by me to get a quote from Alex, Josh's dog, who is typically the first person that runs out to greet me when I'm at Peloton. Out there. Thanks, I will. Platoon ending. 
Oh, cool. I didn't realize you Alex, are you going to give me a... Give me a, are you going to give me some audio? I don't think, I don't think she will. <laughs> no, I'm just If someone it. walks up to the window, she might bark at, the, not bark at them. That's the closest you can get. So, Josh, thank you very much for taking the time. Pleasure. It was a pleasure having you at our conference, and it's a pleasure uh, to do this again. You know, let's maybe start in the beginning. How did you come up with the idea, and what, what was right about the time? Yeah, so so I had been uh, working, you know, at big automotive companies, so starting with my PhD research at Stanford, which... Um, Towards the end, we worked with Volkswagen. Then I worked full-time uh, for Volkswagen. Then I got the startup bug. You know, I went to a, a powertrain startup, so making engines more efficient. And then I really got the bug to you know, think about starting my own company. Together with a few friends, we were, we were brainstorming company ideas, and we saw that a few things had really come together. Uh, one was a, a reduction in the cost of hardware. You know, computing hardware. The second was, you know, a rise in fuel prices over over the years, and that together, you know, those made the value of technology that could save fuel and could increase safety made that extremely valuable. So we started looking at where that could be applied. We were all automotive guys, not trucking, and we just happened upon the statistics around trucking. I remember I wrote in my notebook one one evening that each year $100 billion was spent on diesel fuel for heavy trucks in the U.S. And, and I was still working at, you know, at, at another company. A few days later, I looked at my notebook, and I read that, and I said, oh, yeah, $100 million, that's pretty good. And I said, wait a minute, I wrote billion. You know, is that right? I looked it up. Sure enough, it was, it was billion. Right. And so then I said, well, you know, I can't comprehend a number that large. Let me, I need some scale of reference. So at the time, I looked up the, um, the total global Internet advertising market. And at the time, you know, and it's grown, but at the time it was about $50 billion. I said, wait a minute, there's literally thousands of startups trying to, you know, directly or indirectly get a little piece of that advertising market worldwide, while just in the U.S., the fuel use is twice that. So I said, okay, we've got something here. We need to look at how we can apply this technology to the trucking industry. That's really interesting, uh, Josh. In our prior episode, our listeners heard me go through a little bit of a calculation on how much scale the transportation industry have. You know, when we work in the field of bits and bytes and are surrounded by people who do, you forget that. And on the fuel side, burns about a billion gallons of fuel a day. It's like filling up the Transamerica uh, Tower twice a day and setting a match to it every time. And that's a quarter of the global fuel Mm -hmm. consumption. Uh, And I remember when we talked once before, and this is uh, kind of one one thing that really stayed with me since we talked uh, talked at that time, from conception to the animation of what Peloton does to where you are today, it's actually been a fairly linear path. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think... By startup standards, linear, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think in, in every startup there, you know, there are ups and downs. And, and what I like to say is, you know, part of the job of the CEO is to kind of smooth out and filter out those ups and downs so that yeah. it is linear, you know, it is linear up uh, overall. So yeah, I mean, we you know we saw this big opportunity to apply this technology to trucking, and we said, you know, how can we test that before we really build it, right? And you know, that's sort of the key to all startups is you don't want to go too far before you know whether it, it really makes sense. With a technology like this, where it involves real vehicles, it involves real safety, it takes time to make it real. So we started um, testing it how we could, you know, fleet uh, executives, uh, maintenance guys, safety guys just to get their reaction. Then we went out and prototyped it in, in what way we could without funding. So we would, you know, 
take pictures of trucks close together, see what the view looked like out the, the windshield of a truck, to see whether it was going to be comfortable for the driver. Uh, we bought a very small truck, basically like a U-Haul truck, and started doing some prototyping in there. So yeah, Easy. we kind of we kind of built it up, you know, as trying to make it as linearly, you know, linear progress as possible. But you also have a network operating center, uh, essentially. Maybe give us a minute on that to set the stage of what's going on in the background as well. Sure. Yeah. So our you know our approach is to use connectivity in multiple ways. So we have truck to truck communication. So the front truck is communicating with the rear truck exactly what it's doing, so that rear truck can react nearly instantly mm-hmm. uh, and very accurately. We also have truck-to-cloud communication. So we've built what we call the the Network Operations Center, which is a cloud service, which is supervising and coordinating the trucks. So it's making sure that the platooning only occurs when you're on the right type of road, in the right weather conditions, with the right partner, at the right following distance. And, and, you know, the key here is that the the cloud can have uh, and does have in our system information that the truck cannot have or that would be very difficult for the truck to have on its own. So, for example, what are the conditions half a mile ahead? Well, there's no sensor that can, that can detect that, but it's easy for the cloud to know that there's traffic ahead, there's you know, a severe weather alert, that type of thing. So we combine that with the on-vehicle, on-truck intelligence to, to make sure the system is safe and operates properly. And, and a real key there is that that allows us to constrain down the type of situations that the system encounters constrain that down tremendously. If we had to build and validate the system for every situation in the world, we'd be working for a long time on it. By constraining it down to the ones that really matter, which for trucks are, you know, are the big highways, the big interstates and U.S. highways, uh, we really simplify that problem. And that's a really uh, revealing statement, actually, and we'll come back to it, if you don't mind, when we talk about some of the data analysis and artificial intelligence Speaking of uh, development and technical development, anything interesting or, or surprising that you think somebody should know looking at the truck in terms of what's, what's inside of it, what was kind of intriguing, what surprised you that you had to develop? So one of the nice things about trucks compared to passenger cars is they're built in a much more open and modular fashion than cars. You know, the, the reason is that trucking fleets demand extreme customization. So if you're a fleet, a mid-sized fleet, you might buy a thousand trucks from from one truck maker per year. And when you go to that truck maker, you say, I'm buying a thousand trucks this year. I want this engine, I want these brakes, I want this transmission, I want the wheelbase to be exactly this length, and, and so on. So it's it's a it's much more customization than what you get on a car where you might choose leather or cloth and which stereo and maybe the engine size. As a result of that customization, the truck makers have had to build, you know, build the systems. The truck makers and the suppliers have had to build the systems to be uh, modular and interoperable, because you know they can't go through the same design cycle a car maker would, where three or five years before production they've locked in all the details of the design. Instead, you know, this engine has to work with all the different brake systems. You know, this transmission has to work with different wheelbase settings and, and things like that. So that means there's standardization of much of the communication between components on the vehicle, uh, which makes it easier to integrate into them, whether as an aftermarket system or a factory fit system. The other thing I'd mentioned on the development side is we have tried to, and I think been pretty successful in prioritizing what part of development we do at which phase of Peloton. Uh, What I mean by that is we started by building a prototype that was completely safe to operate, 
with an engineer in the truck, right? With a chaperone. With a chaperone. And that was sufficient for fuel economy testing. So we did very rigorous fuel economy testing with a system that certainly was not intended for, you know, for commercial use, right? Then once that was proven and we got more investors and, you know, involved and more partners involved, then we moved on to production development where we needed to have focused on the safety side of things. Let's um, talk a little bit about your customers. What were your assumptions about their careabouts when you started? And what do you know today, assuming that that's different? Yeah, well, so so I think there's, um, you know, when we first started, we said, you know, as I realized, we were excited about the fuel savings, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, wow, this is going to, you know, this is groundbreaking for fleets. They have, you know, uh, and this was all correct, but I'll explain in a minute why this was not, maybe not the full picture. You know, they have typically 1% to 2% net margins, mm-hmm. and fuel is, you know, 30 to 35% of their operating expense. So saving them 5 or 10% of fuel, you know, it can it's double immense. or triple their right. profit in some cases. So it's a huge, a huge driver. So that was correct. And we knew that would get them excited. What we, you know, as we started talking with fleets, even with the animation, you know, one of the first topics every time that people would bring up is like, well, that's great if it's safe, right? And safety is critical for many reasons, you know, but for the customer, it's critical uh, financially, in terms of you know the their own liability, in terms of the downtime when there's a collision, and in terms of their brand, you know a truck accident. Usually, if there's a truck accident, it's on the news, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so we you know when we first started Peloton, we kind of viewed it as okay, we're gonna. This was how we described it to people. We said, you know, basically here's platooning. It saves a ton of fuel. Here's how we're gonna make it safe, and unintentionally that description was interpreted by people as okay there's a trade-off here it's a little less safe but it's worth it for the fuel savings that was not our intent but that's definitely how people interpreted it mm-hmm. um, and so we we started looking you know we sort of got that reaction from a number of people and we started looking at the statistics around safety and we realized that actually the platooning system would have a profound improvement on safety a profound you know decrease in collisions and so it's actually a huge benefit of the system and so we then, uh, you know, both externally and for our own purposes, you know, realized that really, really the real, the real message here was you put the system on your truck, you're much safer and you save fuel. There's something in it for, for everyone. And that made it a, you know, a, a, an even more compelling financial right. argument for the fleets and really kind of rounded out, rounded out the story. It's really uh, interesting uh, to hear you say that. I remember just in the time that we've known each other, I can tell from the company's collateral that the focus has gone from fuel to now, I think safety is actually mentioned first on your on your website collateral as, as an example. Yeah, we usually mention it first. You know, certainly I think right. when we talk to a fleet, the, um, you know, the financial benefit is probably roughly equal from the safety and, and you know, fuel savings. You know, the good news is they don't have to choose. They, they get both. <laughs> so, yeah. Always a good thing. Uh, yeah. That's one lack of choice. That's uh, that's a positive. <laughs> yeah, that's What's the how much custom hardware, custom infrastructure, custom software did you have to develop? Are you really integrating things more, or are there are a lot of components that you have to essentially 
build up from from scratch? Yeah, so we use some off the shelf hardware components, but we built them into our you know our custom our custom ECU that runs our software. Um, our software is you know certainly we're using existing operating systems and things like that, but basically all the software is you know is custom is the on the hardware side the architecture of the hardware is a critical part of how we make the system safe, um, and so we've we've done a lot of work there. Uh, that being said, as we move forward, you know, our goal is to be mostly a software company. The hardware enables the software to, to run uh, right, in the right. trucks. But over time, trucks will have more of the hardware components needed, you know, just from the factory. And so we're looking at and working with the truck makers on ways to more tightly integrate. That will lower the cost, you know, allowing everyone to, to make more money, including right. the customer. It'll simplify things for the, for the end customer uh, and, and for Peloton. It's interesting, the network operating center that we talked about, for me, it's essentially an orchestration layer that has a, quite an independent future on its own. And most other companies in the scenario generally find that everything they offer is relevant for a long, long time. It just depends on which geography you're talking about. When I look at your um, investor list, it's almost like a, and I think I have a printout of it here, it could almost uh, be like a skit in a comedy routine in terms of how many names are on your account. Intel, Mitsui, NGP, Okaya, Sandal Ventures, British Petroleum Ventures, Lockheed Martin, Schlumberger, Volvo, I'm out of breath, Denso, UPS, Omnitrax. How did you wind up efficiently uh, reaching out to all these people, managing the diligence and getting them, getting them involved in the company there's the process part of it, of getting them all together, and then there's a process of managing all these disparate uh, entities uh, once they're your partners. So, you know, to, to a large extent, the corporate you know, and strategic investors, they all know each other. So a lot of our networking among them was, you know, refer- referrals mm-hmm. by existing investors saying, you know, hey, you should talk to this potential new investor. And, you know, I, I think in general, it was fairly straightforward to to get them on board because the ones we have are all, they're all valuable to us and we're valuable to them. Meaning we are, you know, we fit in some part of their current or future strategy. And it varies, you know, we have companies with large fleets that, you know, are potential customers for us. We have technology companies, you know, we have several oil companies. You know, I think all these companies have in common that they, they see the, you know, their industry is changing and they want to be involved with us to to you know see have a kind of an inside track to how it's changing and then to adapt to it. In terms of how we manage them, I'd say you know one thing that's good about all these strategic uh, strategic investors we have, they all realize that they need to be careful with their demands on the time of, of me and, and the management team. So they're all good about you know saying hey you know we've we've got this potentially interesting thing to discuss. If it's a value to you, let's spend some time. If not, that's okay, right? And so. Um, so we can we can filter it in that way. Uh, other than that, we, we you know we manage them just just like any other investor base. Meaning we have board directors and board observers, and we you know we don't have all those companies as board directors. <laughs> That's important. We've been careful in which right, ones right. we put on the board uh, to avoid conflicts of interest. I think the strategics themselves undervalue what they're providing to the companies uh, that they invest in, because people want their participation. And generally, like you said, because they're operating people themselves, they tend to strike a better balance than some sometimes uh, the professional investor mm-hmm. in the community. So that's very interesting. When you talk about the various components of, of your system, and by components, I don't mean a hardware component. I just mean any aspect of your system. Mm-hmm. You use words that we've used for a long time, hardware, software. 
and you don't use the words like data analytics or big data and artificial intelligence and all these monikers that I'm not sure exactly what they mean. What is your view on, is there something really grand and drastic that's, that's happening or is it just more computing power bringing more solutions to bear with the occasional fundamental breakthrough, maybe neural networks going back 15, 20 years being an example of that? Well, so certainly I think the the techniques are that people use effectively are advancing pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I like to focus on the the functionality and the value, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I feel like, you know, those, those categories have not changed and are not changing. Meaning, you know, you can look at the breakdown of expenses for a trucking fleet and those are the expenses that can be reduced. It's labor, it's fuel, it's crashes, it's maintenance, it's the truck itself. You know, there's no, there's no value in just having AI on a truck. The value is if that AI allows you to, to operate more efficiently by reducing one or more of those expense categories. So certainly the new, you know, some of these areas like computer vision has been completely revolutionized in the last, you know, three years, basically, uh, by some of these new, new, you know, approaches, new algorithmic approaches. That being said, that will allow, for example, an improvement in safety to reduce collision costs. It's the same old category of costs, uh, a new way of, you know, new technology for reducing it. Yeah, interesting. When you talk about artificial intelligence in your truck, are you essentially referring to what, what I would maybe just call uh, machine learning or self-learning, the software getting a little better at what it does over time, not really thinking for itself, but just having been programmed to take certain inputs and rework them into the, into the factors uh, yeah. that it uses? Yeah, yeah I mean, basically, yes. I mean, in, in general, you know, the way, the way we're approaching it is, is not the, you know, there's some people out there sort of in the extreme AI camp of, you know, put the software out there, let it learn everything, let it do its own, own thing. Hard to do um, when you have a 40,000-pound vehicle it, driving it, 70 miles an hour. It's hard to do, and I think people are finding that that pure approach, it's very difficult to prove a safety level mm-hmm. or even measure how safe it is. Our approach is, is more structured, right? It's, you know, use learning algorithms where they make sense. So in our platooning system, it's a fairly small, you know, a fairly small set of functionality where we mm-hmm. actually use them. Um, because a lot of it we can structure it, we can you know itemize out the hazards and how we handle them, and prove you know statistically that we are we are safe. As you know, as we progress, there'll be more learning out types of algorithms in more areas, but we we see a need for that structure to persist um, in order to to even know how safe we are. Because otherwise, you you have to accumulate so much field data. You know, if you're trying to have uh, you know, a, a show that you only have one collision every 100 million miles, well, you need a lot more than 100 million miles just to show that. And so, you know, Google's been out there, they're up to, I think, 5 million miles now, which is tremendous, by far the most of anyone. It's not nearly enough to show safety in a pure sense from just mileage accumulation, right? It needs to be, and, and they are combining with other approaches, uh, just as we are, you know, track testing, hardware in the loop testing, that, that type of testing. Simulations, right? Simulations. And analysis, right? That's where that's where the kind of pure AI is. It's very difficult to show safety. And it's interesting. Maybe that's a good segue into the into the world of regulation, because certification is something that frequently relies on being able to present a formal view of 
what your system is able to do and not able to do. And one, uh, t- let's talk yeah. a little bit about that, if that's a good question. Yeah, if it's not a good question, feel free to discard it. I'd rather have what you want to talk about than no, it's, my it's bad a, question. No, it's a good question. <laughs> Let me answer it, and then depending on how I answer it, you I don't know if you'll want to rephrase your question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good question. It was a good question. We are talking. So, see, we're already like we're in Congress. <laughs> this yeah. is a regulatory question. So, well, so... Um, so the reality today is for almost all automotive so, you know, car or truck systems, the regulations are not prescriptive on a, you know, a, a kind of validation test. Mm-hmm. There, are, there is a small number of exceptions to that. So things like um, stability control, which keeps your car or truck from spinning, crash testing, fuel economy testing. Those may be the only, there's probably a few more, but those are a a few of the only areas where there are specific tests required by law to show the safety of of an existing system. All of this is still being figured out for autonomous vehicles, right? So nobody really knows where where it's going to settle. But the reality is it's very hard for the regulators to actually test these systems. So um, most of the certification is self-certification. You say, I am following the other 500 or 1,000 you know, safety standards, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that are not tested, I certify I'm following them. Um, and the main sort of motivation there is if there is a collision or some issue and it's shown that you weren't following one, that's very bad for you in a right, lawsuit. Right. So in our case, uh, we are, you know, the, the biggest um, sort of uh, decider of is our system safe enough is really us and our, and our partners, you know, brake suppliers, truck OEMs. The regulators want to make sure it's safe, uh, but they're not testing our system for us. We're, we're testing it. We're validating it. We are going through that whole process. And we're following a process uh, called ISO 26262, which is a standard for functional safety, a very rigorous process. You know, but the regulators don't, don't check on that. They know we're following that. They understand why the system should be safe. But then to a certain extent, it's up to us to validate it. Um, and we do that because we need to. And want to, uh, and our customers want us right. to, and our partners want us to. What about the um, the rules, the work related rules that are imposed on the trucking industry? How does Peloton interact with those rules? Yeah, so the trucking industry, for good reason, has very strict. Uh, they call the hours of service rules, so mm-hmm. limits on how many hours you can drive. You have to take certain rest breaks and so on. For our platooning system, because we still keep the driver engaged, you know, at the wheel, they're still steering. Uh, we are not, you know, not planning on any changes to those rules when you're platooning. That being said, those rules are a very, you know, kind of strict limit on the operational efficiency of a fleet because it makes, you know, they, they have to operate within those limits. So it's hard to utilize their trucks fully, hard to utilize driver fully. So we do see the opportunity for platooning and beyond. You know, there's a logic that they should be able to relax those rules, uh, that if you're platooning, you're, it's lower stress. You don't need to take a break as often, that type of thing. Um, and certainly, as we add more automation that lets the driver fully relax, then that, that can also relax those, <laughs> those rules. Those could potentially have a huge operational cost savings for fleets. I have some, some of these semi-autonomous features on my vehicle and the most striking thing for example on the hour and 50 minute commute down here this morning the striking thing about it is how much fatigue reduction there is associated with having the vehicle do just a little bit of the work itself and what's always striking to me is how you never hear about that as a rationale and i think that's one of the reasons on the passenger side 
the uptake of these safety systems is very, very little when they're optional equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I guess a couple of thoughts on that. So that typically you go to a dealership, the demonstration vehicles they have don't have the features. So for years, you know, you would have to go and special order, you know, a vehicle based on a feature that was listed in an option book that you had never driven. So nobody's going to, you know, it's very few people adopt that. And an expensive yeah. option. And expensive. Yeah. Right. But, but on the sort of uh, fatigue reduction, so there, you know, there's, for for many years, there have been studies by um, psychologists and kind of human factors uh, researchers that show basically, you know, they talk about what's called the task workload curve. And the basic idea is that uh, there is an optimum workload that keeps you at peak performance. If you are overloaded, like if you are driving down here and doing a crossword puzzle and eating your breakfast and shaving and talking to someone on the phone, you would not do a good job at some of those, <laughs> right? It would be up to you to prioritize right, it partially, right, right, but right. You, you couldn't do all those probably. So that's overload. If you're underloaded, uh, that means you're not given enough workload. So for example, if, if you were in your car and the car is driving itself and your job is just to watch it, but to take no action unless something goes wrong. Studies have shown humans are terrible at that. They're not good at supervising without a task because it's hard to pay attention, hard to stay engaged. So that's underloaded. In between, there's a lot, you know, for, fortunately, broad area of, you know, of good workload. So, you know, still steering, for example, but not needing to control the gas and brake, like you have with adaptive cruise control or with, with platooning. From what we've seen, that is a good workload. It lets you focus on the part of the driving task that's important. It lets you not be stressed out, so you can do it for a long period of time. But when you add more, too much automation without enough capability, that's where it gets dangerous because you get underloaded and, and you're no longer able to, to supervise properly. The aviation industry has uh, a lot of interesting experience with how long it takes for a pilot to re-engage. And I think the statistics I've seen applied to highway driving is you need around 850 feet of uh, look ahead at around 60 miles an hour for the system to be able to say, you know, pay attention driver for the driver to sort of be able to re-engage, then make a decision, then bring the vehicle to to a halt as an example. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there have been a couple of good studies on that. And it, part of the challenge is it varies a lot. No. So sometimes it's even longer than that. Sometimes <laughs> it's very quick. Right. And so the challenge is, you know, depending on the situation, if it's OK, the system just, you know, had an issue and there's no no imminent danger on the road, maybe you have that much time. If there's an imminent danger on the road, and that's why the system didn't have the capability anymore, then you're in trouble right, trying right. to retake control. Lateral moving into your lane, mm, that sort of Something thing. like right. that. Great. Uh, uh, Josh, I want to be very, very respectful of your time because it's always a pleasure. I could go on forever. It's always a pleasure to be here. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to point out? What kind of milestones allowed you to raise all this wonderful mm-hmm. capital? Yeah, maybe I'll touch briefly on that. And then uh, I really, in the regulatory part, uh, there's a little more I can add there. So I talked a little earlier about, you know, doing the the most relevant parts of development kind of as we progress as a company. So really, you know, what we did is we said, let's show the fuel economy. That's what's really going to get the attention of, of the fleets. And it's easier to, to measure than the safety benefit early on. So we built a prototype. We measured the fuel economy with a major fleet. Um, so we got kind of the brand, you know, name, brand recognition of that major fleet, that really got the attention of other fleets. They said, wait a minute, this fleet not only was willing to test it, but the test went well and showed this, you know, 10% and 4.5% fuel savings for the two trucks. Uh, that was very powerful to then move on to the next stage. 
Then the key really was show milestones around production viability and, and production, show that it could be safe, and later show that you know, it is safe or, or close to being done, validated uh, to be safe. Uh, and so we just kind of moved along the milestones in that way and got more investors on board as, as we went. Uh, one more comment on the regulatory side. So we have found the states very supportive of platooning. And for us, the regulations that matter are mostly at the state level. Uh, each state has their following distance laws, basically tailgating laws. And so we've worked state by state. And, you know, the good news is states understand that trucking is a core part of their economy, right? I mean, almost everything moves by truck. So it's basically important for all physical aspects of the economy. States are eager to do anything that improves trucking in their state uh, because that, you know, if you're deciding where to open your new warehouse, if trucking is easier and cheaper in one state than another, then you're going to choose it. And, you know, that's one of the factors you include in your decision. So we've gotten good support from many states. I think we're currently in nine states that have commercially approved platooning, about another dozen where we could do testing, and then a bunch of others coming on board, some for commercial approval, some for testing, um, just all, all the time. We've got a lot of good momentum there. Any questions for me, as they usually say? <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. No, I guess I'd just say thanks, Ali. This was a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you today. It was, it was truly my pleasure, Josh. You know, I always love coming here, seeing you, and giving uh, Alex a pet as well. That's also one of the treats. <laughs> right, all right. Thank thanks, you. Ali. Tech. Cars. Machines. Big trucks. Keep your engine running. Click subscribe. Subscribe with the little button in your podcast app or click the three dots in the little circle. Or visit us at techcarsmachines.com and gtkpartners.com where our subscribe buttons are much bigger. (laughs) 